So hey everyone, I'm Andrew Dobe and welcome to episode 14 of Just a Chat With. Uh, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to let everyone know that Lewis, my co-host, has recently gone on to Pastures New and is off to some plur- uh, sorry, explore some new opportunities. We've both had an amazing first season um, and experience working together on the show. It just wouldn't have been the same without him. Uh, I want to personally um, wish Lewis all the very best um, for his next adventure. If this is your first listen, um, Just a Chat With is a video podcast series where we talk about brand and creativity with the world's best in class. Up until now, this has been a video podcast where we travel to meet our guests in their studios, in their homes. Um, we, we, we think that adds a little bit more to the show. Um, hopefully, we'll be back to doing this again um, uh, sometime soon. And who knows, it may be a mix of travel and remote episodes. So we'll see. In the last episode, we sat down with Debbie Millman, who is a writer, educator, artist, curator, and designer, who is also well known as the host of the podcast Design Matters. Um, Debbie, of course, had some amazing insights on brand and design, uh, being an author and podcast host herself. She is an exceptionally great communicator, uh, and I think was able to explain in some simple terms, some concepts that can be really tricky to articulate. So go check that out if you haven't already. Before that, we had James Greenfield. James is the creative director, co-founder of branding agency Koto. Uh, we've also had design legend Michael Wolf on the show. We've had author um, and brand legend uh, Marty Newmeyer, photography duo Sane Seven, and Noah Klokek, an art director from Pixar. Today, though, we are very excited as we're here with none other than Frankie Goodwin, who is a creative director at Sachi and Sachi. Frankie is also the CBO of Western Edge Pictures uh, and Janaker Group. Have I, have I pronounced that correctly? <laughs> yeah, but don't worry. That's it. We're, we're there. We're there. Um, Frankie is a graduate of Glasgow School of Art. Frankie spent the first part of her career uh, running a boutique film marketing agency, Frankie and Johnny, uh, making groundbreaking campaigns for the film industry. Since then, she's worked across numerous award-winning film entertainment and brand campaigns, including winning over 80 international advertising awards, including nine canned lions. Frankie, so much, thank you so much for being here. Uh, how, how are things with you? Very good, thank you. Cool, and, and how are you, have you been finding things over the last, um, as well, in this new upside down world we find ourselves in over the last few weeks and couple of months? Yeah, it's, it's been a while since I've, you know, we, we went, we locked down about 12 weeks ago, I think. Um, and the transition has been surprising. I think people, the technology was always there. Like we just didn't quite trust it. Yeah. And now, um, and now all of a sudden it, it's kind of a, a different world in the sense, in the sense that we, we can communicate and we can do zooms and everything feels fine. Um, but I do miss the, the kind of getting in a room and trotting things out. I think there's a, I think there's a, a lack of kind of, I think we're as creatives and, and certainly um, marketers, we're, we're kind of a, a bit um, addicted to kind of positive reinforcement. So yeah. I think unless we're in rooms being told we're brilliant all the time, <laughs> we get a bit, we can get a bit sad. Um, and that, I think that's the thing. It's like, oh, you know, that just the energy, because working in advertising, especially is and you know, and film development is super fun but it is it really is the people yeah so whilst the work is doable and i think we've been doing really 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 meaningfully um helpful work for our clients you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know there's there's almost like a slightly different relationship happening because everybody's like what the hell is going on right we have to get this out um 
so I think that's very positive but ultimately yeah we need to be around people we need to be telling each other we're great all the time yeah there's something about that energy that you don't get quite across the screen is it that you know for when you're brainstorming and you come up with ideas that when you're in a room together yeah absolutely yeah, so I, I mean, um, have, have you any idea when you kind of you guys will be ending up going back into the studio? Have you any plans for that yet, or is it? There... Uh, well, weird. I went in last week to pick up my stuff and collect mm-hmm. my awards, which are very heavy. Um, <laughs> um, I um, the the plan I think from a publicist wide group is to mm-hmm. um, give people the option to go in from the beginning of July, um, and that's built around um, I think. I think it's like something to do with whether you need the technology or you just need the headspace or whether you need to collaborate. So it's sort of a, um, I think there is a plan, but ultimately there'll be no requirement to be back in the office this year, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, well, I suppose we, I, sp- I should probably let the listeners know that we're on Friday the 26th of June today. This is when we're recording this because uh, the world changes day by day. So, um, you know, everyone's plans are changing day by day. Um, I mean, recently in our studio, Frankie, we've we've decided to um, um, start a kind of work from anywhere policy. Um, you know, we, we, I, I kind of, we, we've kind of moved towards feeling like it might be a blended approach for the future in terms of like some time in the studio and kind of that flexibility. Um, do, do, you, do you think there'll be more businesses kind of move to that kind of model, um, you know, from, from? I really hope so. I think, I, think it, I think it will help parents. I think it will, and I don't want to just say women, because I think what I've actually noticed is that, you know, the, the men I work with are now are, you know, taking their kids to school and that's brilliant. You know, this idea that childcare had meant women had to sacrifice their time in the office. I think if, if we can see sort of a more meaningful change in, in that direction, yeah. in the third burden of that, I think that will be the greatest thing that ever happens. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, um, and I think people being just more open to kids walking into Zoom calls and screaming in the background and stuff like that. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice to see people actually have lives and families behind their their professional careers, isn't it? I think there's there's been something really nice about that. So I hope. I mean, I don't think. I I really do think this is an acceleration of something that would have happened anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Positive things that will come out of it. That we will we will get together when we need to get together, but will be afforded more flexibility. And who knows that even may mean people can don't have to live in tiny little flats in horrible parts of London. You know, um, and that that there's there's just more flexibility about you know because who no one misses the commute. No, nobody, no one wants that. So, yeah, and and I think people are putting that time into quality of life. Um, yeah. Let's let's try and keep as much. No, I agree, and I, I think you know, like the, the uh, less people commuting, it's better for the environment. It's just it's got so many positives, hasn't it? I think, and it's better for your mental well-being, everything. Just and uh, you know, spending more time with the family, and and I think there, there's something about you know, I, I found anyway, often you know, when you're kind of in the rat race of 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 um, you know, running and moving around all the time, you don't actually get. You know, the time to kind of do a lot of the hobbies and the creative things that you, you can want to do. So, I mean, I've been picking up my guitar again for, for the first time in years and, and getting, you know, feeling really creative that way as well. I mean, have you found, you know, have you found that from your perspective? Is there things that you're doing? Are you getting to spend more time on sort of self-initiated creativity? Or, I mean, you're obviously very busy with work. <laughs> um, I, I would love to tell you I've been painting and, and <laughs> which I have, which I, and I haven't, but I think what's been nice is that I run our, I work with my husband on our film company. So he runs mm-hmm. it and I'm, I'm a kind of um, part-time executive. 
Um, so we've had more time to talk about projects. We've had more, I've had more time to read scripts. I've had more time to be a bit more involved in the creative side of web, which has been great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is, is there anything as part of kind of, you know, being forced to work from home, forced to work remotely, is there anything you and, and your team have found in terms of creative process that's changed? Or is there anything that you, you, you might keep moving forward? Or, you, you know, obviously the preference is to be around people in, in that room kind of coming up with ideas together. But is there, you know, have you, have you found any positives coming out of this? I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I think it really, because there's so many different parts of you know, of what I do. And recently that there's been a lot of, I haven't, let me start that again. I haven't been at the right at the beginning of a brief until about two weeks ago. So for the, the couple of months before that, it was delivering projects that were, you know, actually doing quite a lot of post, which was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were, doing load, loads and loads and loads of rounds of iterative feedback and things like that on, on work that had been in the pipeline for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so over the last couple of weeks, we've had some chunkier new briefs um, that we've been working on that not COVID briefs. Yeah. We've got to taken over with COVID briefs for a while, which were sort of short, fast rounds. And that's very easy to do on Zoom because you've got no other choice. They've got to be fast. You've got to just make decisions yeah. and get on with it. I think the chunkier, bigger stuff that I'm now getting our teeth into which is like you know brand planning for next year or you know mm-hmm. bigger brand platform stuff um i haven't done any pitching but i would you know i think that's harder yeah. um, i don't know if there's anything creatively i think i just i guess honestly it's more just about the fact that instead of sitting at your desk coming up with ideas or in a room you might go outside or you know yeah go for a run and have a think about it i mean there's something i found there's something quite nice like you almost feel like you've got unlimited meeting rooms uh, you know often in a studio it's like you need to get certain people in the room and it takes you oh we can't do that till tomorrow because they're out they're out and you can't get a room now you can like you know you could go from here into a room with another five people and so on and so forth there's, there's something quite empowering about that about being able to get people together quicker absolutely there's guys on my teams that spent 50 percent of their time trying to negotiate meeting rooms I mean, like, you know, and then that is not a good use of resource oh, in definitely. the world. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. No one misses the meeting room fights and they were substantial at Saatchi, I can tell you that. So, so what, what does a kind of average day then look like for you at Saatchi and Saatchi at the moment? Kind of, you know, what, what is, you know, we've got a lot of young creatives that um, obviously follow and listen to this podcast and I'm sure they'd be quite interested to kind of figure out what that looks like for you and your type of role. Um, at the moment or in a normal, in normal world, I think, um, at the moment, it, it's getting up um, and doing some exercise so that you don't go mad. Um, and um, and then ugh, get onto Zoom calls. I mean, I literally get onto Zoom calls. And on a good day, maybe the first one's at 10.30 and, you know, I've got a nice gap in the afternoon where I can go for a walk and have a think and, um, you know, actually do some writing or whatever it is that I need to do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's just a huge amount of Zoom calls. Um, on, I, I work across three brands, so um, yeah, just sort of managing. Can you see what they are, or is that? Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I work on Direct Line. Yeah. Insurance. Uh, oh, is this the Robocop and Turtles? I've I've seen yeah. this campaign. I love this. Thank you. Yeah, talk us through yeah. a little bit of that how that came together. Yeah, absolutely. So that was um, that was a it was kind of the biggest brief, certainly the biggest brief in the agency. Um, a couple of years ago because we'd, we'd done the Winston Wolf stuff. I, not personally me, but sure. 
um, we had been, you know, had a huge um, kind of commercial and creative success with that brand vehicle. Yeah. Um, and it was a wrench, um, but it's something that I think the client and the agency both felt we needed to do, which was to move on from, from Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so that was kind of scary. So the brief was called at the time, Life After Harvey. And it was kind of like, it's their life after Harvey. You know, it was kind of, it was that sort of um, uh, a top level of like, you know, how, what, where do we go? Yeah. Um, and uh, my boss, Guillermo, who was relatively new, came um, Came, came over from New York. Um, we were just getting to know each other and he said, I want you to do Life After Harvey. And I was like, great, okay. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, no, it is one of, those, one of those books. I think Richard Huntington said, you know, they'll write books about this if we fuck this up and all that. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a traditional process. We explored lots of things. The nice, the, the wonderful thing about that relationship that, um, Derek Line and, and Saatchi have is that there was an awful lot of trust and you know m- at that point when you're moving on to a n- completely new brand campaign you the normal thing to do is to put up a pitch um, so the fact that they they didn't because they wanted to build um, with yeah. us was was brilliant but we still had to crack it you know there yeah. was a, but it still felt like a pitch mm-hmm. um, and um, so yeah we went we you know we we got into it it was Guillermo and I's sort of first time working together which was great it was a real baptism of baptism of fire in that respect um, but mm-hmm. um and yeah we got to this platform which is about um you know we want to beat superheroes mm-hmm. at the game at saving the world um, and where, but- where, where do you get from blank page to that right and you know because it's, it's turtles isn't it it's a uh, robocop and it's bumblebee yeah. that's the, the, the yeah so yeah, we got to the, the thought, which was, I think the original, I think the boys that wrote it, um, Wilhelm and Will Brickwell, um, they, I think what was in the deck was something like Direct Line got there first. I think that was the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think soon, and we sort of, we latched onto that, we liked that. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, I think they did a mood film where they comped together all of, like, literally the world superheroes and and cops and famous detectives and everything mm-hmm. um and put it into this enormous mood film mm-hmm. that um basically just said we're better than all of these people and and we and we and we wrote the first scripts that were basically like this like you know really 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 epic production and then at the end of the script someone getting into a cab and saying sorry mate direct line have got me covered yeah um, and initially, we the thing we wrote had lots of lots of superheroes in one ad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, rushing through like certain, you know, all all these famous things. And I think <laughs> I think we costed out the first ad at about sixteen million pounds. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Then you looked at licensing costs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we and and it's funny you sometimes can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. Or development and so you're sort of saying what well, can can one superhero possibly work you know in one mm-hmm. ad we started to dig into like well we really do need a, a we need to do a business prop and we need to do a motive ad and we need to do a home insurance you know we can't just do one ad with one with you know with motor because that's whilst that's the biggest part of direct line business they are growing everything else um yeah. so then we were like well can we you know do three ads and it and, and write individual stories for each one of them and we did it and we explored all different ways, putting two in, 
Yeah. You know, like, and it's funny because you kind of, it feels so simple now. Um, <laughs> but we, we wrote them and we were like, yeah, this is going to work. As long as, you know, there's, if, if, you know, you can make a whole movie out of these characters, we can feel together. Yeah. Um, and it was all about blowing up the balloon bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then popping it. That was how we talked about it. It was like putting as much epicness as the lawyers would allow because <laughs> uh, we wanted to smash things up. Because, you know, the whole point is you don't need someone to come and make things worse. And that was what was brilliant about Winston Wolfe was yeah. that he was the guy who was like, you haven't, you know, I was never here. You know, and that's how you want insurance to feel. You want, you want, you just want it back. You want it fixed, and you want to move on. Yeah. Um, and and it was interesting actually, just to, because we did sort of, I think initially think, well, well, we could replace the fixer. We could replace Winston Wolf with another awesome problem solver. Yeah. And then you start to look at superheroes, and you're like, God, they make an awful lot of mess. <laughs> and they kind of like really want all the limelight, you know, um, which doesn't leave room for the brand. And that yeah. was where we we got where we got to the sort of the the we're on it idea, which was actually this is about superiority. This isn't about replacing when someone with a superhero. It's about saying we're better than all problem solvers now. Um, yeah. So, and, do you, and do you work with the IP owners do you, um, of those characters and and their writers, or you know, is that something that has to be kind of signed off as a part of the process? It was it was actually fascinating. I mean, I've worked a lot, obviously, because my background is in movies, but I mm. have. And I knew what I knew what the restrictions were. You know, I'm very used to working with the restrictions of what you can, you know, what kind of advertising you can create for movies, based on what the rights holders will be happy yeah. with. We get involved in that stuff. But um, at this scale, what we did is um, we brought in a guy called David Bourne, who is a he, he specialises in licensing. Okay. Um, and we sat in a room with a deck that he brought in with like 150 titles that we could license everything from sort of you know, Robocop to Paw Patrol. Yeah, um, yeah. We're, we're good with the Paw Patrol. Um, <laughs> uh, and we went, literally went through them all, working out like which ones could be maybe relevant for um, the props as well. Because it was like, well, you know, having a transformer would be great for, the, for car insurance and Donatello lives mm -hmm. in the sewer, so that's kind of plumbing. You know, so we yeah. find some relevance. It wasn't just saying, it wasn't just going, oh, like, you know, who says yes? Because the other challenge is, obviously, we weren't just saying, can we put your superheroes in our ads? We were saying, can we beat them? You know, can we kind of humiliate them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was a, and David did the most incredible job. He had these great relationships with all of these rights holders. But he originally was like, DC and Marvel, not going to happen. Just purely for the concept, not, not because, you know, nothing's going to happen. Um, but I think that was fun. I think we, we got to the guys we wanted. We had a few other people, we had a few other things on the table. We had a bit of an issue about gender, but that was like more about the last hundred years of culture than it was our fault in terms of like, there are no women superheroes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and they're really, you know, they weren't possible. So, um, and, and, was there, and was there a choice in terms of kind of, I suppose, the demographic you were talking to, the personas? And I mean, because for me, it's they're all things from my childhood. So nostalgia for me, I was like, I'm delighted watching them on YouTube. Um, so, I mean, was there a specific demographic you guys were going after as a, a sort of yeah, as a brand? To hit everyone. So <laughs> yeah. what I liked about the suite that we ended up with is that you've got a real, and it's really interesting because we actually had a 16 year old kid in, um, in one of those meetings that I was talking about with David. Mm -hmm. Um, as he was on an internship and so I we were going through and I was like have you heard of him he's like yeah I was like have you heard of him like and like I didn't know that Transformers are well you know are massive because 
for me, they were just these stupid toys, but for like Gen Z, they grew up with the movies. So they're like yeah. their favorite movies. Um, whereas, you know, millennials are like super into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then you've got, you know, Robocop for the really old people like me. Yeah, um, yeah, I love the Robocop one, it's good, isn't it? I mean, Robocop was the one that we were a bit like, like, you know, less loved. He is a darker character as well. Mm -hmm. as I've on Twitter about that, which is like, you know, whatever. It's supposed to be funny. <laughs> I tell my husband, shut up. Born. <laughs> Born. Born. Um, sorry. All right. Um, he's not listening to me at all. <laughs> so so yeah so there was a demo definitely a demographic consideration um yeah. so we got to where we got to and then in terms of writing um they definitely like i think especially robocop they would look at scripts and then they would say oh he wouldn't say that but he would say you know and they would come back with a suggestion that was like better mm. yeah 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 well that's kind of good isn't it i suppose because you've got the power of them helping you so and, and you want it to feel authentic most of the challenges that genuinely and i'm not just being you know a politician most of the challenges that the rights holders came back with made the ads better yeah and we once we got brian um buckley involved who's the director mm -hmm. you know, he took them from these these love like lovely funny scripts and he just you know he built he built like you know, he, he was the one that wrote the idea of the like rubber coming out and, you know, he kind of built like layers and layers and layers of story on top of them. And then most of the, the kind of negotiation was how much damage can we do and can Bumblebee jump through walls and things like that. So, I mean, it was an yeah. absolutely joyful experience. Once we got to the idea um, and we were, you know, and everybody kind of felt good about it and, and we tested it and it tested well um and then the shoot was just the best fun yeah i think it looks fantastic i mean you know it must be a delight to work on i mean in, in terms of kind of process how, how long does that whole campaign take from start to finish from kind of blank page to kind of going live a year what's almost that sorry sorry yeah almost exactly a year oh uh, yeah yeah okay yeah no fantastic um yeah, I'm really interested, um, I suppose, to let's go back a bit and go like how you got into design. I mean, did you always think you were going to be a designer, creative director? Is, is that, was that a path that was set for you? Or kind of where did young Frankie start and where did you think you would head up? So um, I, went, I was definitely good at art in that, <laughs> you know, I could draw Coke cans and things, which is the, the, the weird sort of thing, whether or not you're going to take higher art. Crushed coke can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a sheep, a sheep skull, or a mouldy orange. <laughs> candles as well, uh, yeah. and lots of face, lots of yourself, you know, lots yeah. of really angsty self-portraits. Um, so I was good, at, you know, I was good at art. I did, I did art through school, and I definitely wanted to take that into my career. But I definitely knew from a very young age, and I think it's because I have a sort of scientist dad, and I'm quite my brain works like his even if maybe i'm not as you know not capable of the physics um he like i think i was always clear that i wanted to do something that was gonna have a i don't i don't even know sorry i'll start that again i think i was always um i think i was always sure that i wanted to do something with a kind of vocation mm -hmm. so i knew i didn't want to be an artist I think yeah. that, that absolutely, like my mum is an artist and sure. I don't get up every day with like, oh, I'm going to make a pot or I'm going to, you know, I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. I, I get up 
what gets me up in the morning is a problem to solve, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I knew that. And I, the way I sort of articulated that when I was like 16 was like, I would put letters into paintings and thought that was what graphic design was. I don't have a clue. I literally have a clue. And that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of, you know, the, there's a lot of ignorance in terms of what job descriptions actually are when you're that age, I think, certainly. Yeah. You know, in the 90s. Yeah. It was, it was like, you know, I think... You know, other than the general jobs, you know, the, 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 you know, doctor, lawyer stuff, like you don't do really dig into what other opportunities are out there. You sort of left to find out for yourself. But I knew I was going to go to art school. Scotland yeah. has amazing art schools. And I think that's also part of why you feel like it's a good choice. Yeah. Nobody says, like, I don't think you really get that. I don't know if you're from, how can I know? But if you're from Birmingham and you say, I'm going to go and do my foundation course or I'm going to go to art school. Uh, you know, unless you're going to Camberwell um, or Chelsea, people are a bit like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah, yeah, because I think Scot Scotland has these four incredible art schools, um, and they have such a strong re reputation. That and where did you Where did you grow up, Frankie? Where, where were you? Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, grew up, I, yeah I, went, I grew up in Edinburgh, and um, I was I, also born in Edinburgh as well. So, like, up as. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I was kind of like, I a lot of people were going to Glasgow straight off the bat in first year. And I went to Manchester and did a foundation course because I just wanted to get out of Scotland, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then I had no plans, to, I, you know, maybe going to stay in Manchester, but the course in Glasgow, I just, I loved. And I met the tutors and I did an interview up there and I just felt like, oh my goodness, it, you know, I've never had something sure, surer about anything. Yeah. Um, because it was a design course that you did, still did, um, life drawing all the way through, you know, okay. such a sort of respect for the original, you know, the sort of creative skills set, the, you know, the, the really fundamental. Stuff. And it didn't feel like designers were being sort of, you know, put in another room with Photoshop and, and yeah. get on with it kind of thing. There was a real sort of sense of creative ambition. Mm -hmm. um, and all the way through Glasgow was just um, great, just an amazing experience, really. Yeah, and then so so after that, you kind of you you landed your first design job in yeah. SEM Design, is that correct? Yes. So um, oh God, it, my heart breaks for the graduates this year because graduating mm. and all of the opportunities that come out of graduating um, were incredible, and I think I've got better and better since you know. In yeah. Terms of so so what we did is we had a big show in in Glasgow, you know, and the designers got just as much space as the fine artists. Um, and you know, people come around, they give you your cards, and da, da, da. Um, and then you also ship down to we also sort of ship down to London for a couple of days with our work. And we did the DNA D, which is now called New Blood. I don't know if it was called that then, but um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, but it's you know, basically New Blood, yeah. Um, and um, I think they didn't do awards then, so it was literally just an op op opportunity, yeah, um, to meet people. And you kind of like, wow, you're in the big world, and literally, people from design agencies came up to you and give you the cards and and um and i think i did a portfolio surgery or something with david stocks who mm -hmm. um was running sas and it, they seemed kind of cool and the people seemed kind of cool and they offered me a job and it wasn't a placement they offered me a job so yeah. like, and I, that was a good you know it's obviously when you're moving down from scotland you you know placement feels quite scary although i'd still have done it yeah um, and i think um yeah and i was lucky that i had friends that wanted to do the same thing so we all kind of piled down to london and um started you know doing what junior designers do cutting things out and 
looking for pictures in books. <laughs> that ages me. Um, anyway, so that, yeah, so I did that for, and it was a great opportunity. And I realize now, I know now how much I learned and how, how I was completely not job ready or in any way fit for purpose when I left art school. I had a great, you know, I had a great time and I did lots of creative things. Um, but, you know, yeah, you kind of get a baptism of fire when you get into the first sort of working world, don't you? And kind of understand yeah. the, the speed that everything has to move at. Yeah, and you've got to be properly responsible. I think that took me a few months to get my head around. <laughs> it took you a few months, it took me a few years. So <laughs> you've, you've, you've done better than most. Um, so I, I suppose following from, um, from after SAS, um, you founded your own consultancy with your, was it your partner, your husband at the time, Frankie and Johnny? No, no. Oh, I got that wrong. <laughs> Yeah, obviously everybody asked us that for 10 years, but no, we, we were just pals. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, so basically uh, Johnny, who was actually called Jonathan and had to rename himself to fit in with the idea of the name of the company. Um, it's really weird because you can basically predate people based on whether they knew him before. Or <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Wife calls him Johnny. People <laughs> 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 from SAS call him Jonathan. Um, so, yeah, basically I had kind of got what I could get out of SAS, I think, from a kind of um, career point of view, and I was a little bit lost. Um, yeah. And Johnny was um, a, a technical consultant for, for SAS, who were doing a lot of work for BT and doing some really quite groundbreaking stuff at the time in terms of, there's this thing called the internet. Um, there's probably an opportunity there. We're not sure what it is. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, ready to leave and um johnny called me and said what are you doing for christmas i don't know what are you doing for new year or something and i was like i'm resigning i don't know what i'm going to do but i'm going to resign because i don't want to become the you know i don't want to just become yeah. a corporate graphic designer it's not enough and he was like oh amazing why don't you come to venice and help out on this mike figures film and i was like what well don't say that if you definitely can't like what are you talking about um, and so basically Johnny had been working with another creative um, called Abby who runs Rude. I think they're still going okay. to Rude London. Um, and they had managed to put together a team that were going to help to basically build. M Mike Figgis had, I think, basically seen sort of, do you remember the first Big Brother or the second Big Brother? They had like 24 hours of CCTV on them on the internet because obviously we didn't have yeah. all the channels that we do now. And Mike thought this was great and wanted to kind of build a film set around that and just have spy on actors and stuff. It was completely simple. Um, but what we turned it into was a very, very creative project um, where we made um, new content every single day and um, basically kind of built a world around the film being made and all the actors because, you know, there was just actors running around everywhere and kind of had a dogma approach to the whole website. So everything on it was created on set, even the music. We had to find someone to play the piano if we needed some music or we had to mm. find thing or it, it was incredible it was like going back to college as far as I was concerned but you know I was being paid um and I kind of got there with the well Johnny sort of said oh well we need an assistant yeah. and I got there and it turned out that Abby wasn't coming out for three weeks or something because she was running her her agency and so I was like oh okay and I had lots of talented boys but like there wasn't a real a, a real vision mm -hmm. so um I kind of got back my mojo in a big way because I had to sort of step up and go, what's the vision for this website? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, and it was amazing um, and made friends for life and, and, um, and did something that was ge genuinely groundbreaking. And I would, I say that because mm. I, I always say that I always say, I mean, I 
don't think in hindsight being a, a, a you know ahead of your time is that much fun and mm-hmm. um, being ahead of your time is basically just not people not paying you for stuff because they don't understand it um so like whilst it you know it sounds like quite a big claim like oh we were so ahead of our time it was like yeah it was bullshit um because we, we knew what we were doing was absolutely what the internet was for you know yeah. video content fan bases but none of it existed so it was kind of um you know like Salma Hayek fans were hacking our website to take the content off it and we were like you can have it like we don't we're trying to you know we're creating a I was trying to get something out here yeah but we didn't even really know what what it was anyway we won some awards and we were like well everybody needs needs this every every single film should have us on set making this stuff um and I you know obviously had a print background so I was like and we could do posters and we could do you know film titles and you know we could brand films and we started to identify where where independent film kind of failed in it in terms of the way it branded itself and you know the titles didn't look anything like the poster and the poster was designed in different countries and had you know like there was no consistency across across yeah. the world of independent film um and so we thought and the digital offering was like zero so that was sort of the vision for frankie and johnny and it, it took you know it was it was it was a, a wonderful sort of ride trying to convince people that that's what they needed to varying degrees of success and failure. And, and did you enjoy the, the, the element of kind of running a business and, you know, the kind of challenge of that or was... Or... Um, I mean, honestly, no. no. I, don't, I, I mean, I think I liked, I was incredibly proud of the team that I built. You know, mm-hmm. I think like it's incredibly humbling when people get out of bed and come to work for you every single day. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, there's something about it that's sort of amazing. Can't quite yeah. believe it, especially when because I was really young when I, I mean, I set up Frankie Jr. I was like 22. Wow. Um, so, and we didn't hire anyone for a while, so, like, we, you know, um, but it, you know, I was incredibly proud of the team. Yeah. In the accounts, not so much. Um, the stress of, you know, turnover and, yeah, but, you know, trying to fill, pay the bills every month. And, you know, I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad that that's part of my, like, you know, getting to the point where you just know the phone will ring and things will be okay, you know, it's an incredibly good, you know, place to get to in your life. Um, and not, you know, reducing the stress of uncertainty and all of those things. But I have to say, you know, cut to week one of Saatchi and being like, oh, I just have to do the creative bit. Oh my God. And then like someone pays me every month. and I don't, even I don't have, to have to look at spreadsheets anymore. I don't have to do any of that. Yeah. So, so, so I, I have to be really honest and say there is an absolute joy in someone else wearing all that stuff too. Yeah. And, and so how did you end up from there to, to where you are at Saatchi Saatchi? You know, how did, how did that come around? So I, I did, Frankie and Johnny, we, we ran until we got hit by the crash, um, which is quite interesting actually now because, you know, as Corona and the sort of next recession probably looms, I think I feel quite wise yeah like yeah the last one and you know good things come out of adversity and you know it forces you to make decisions about what you want you know so yeah i feel like i'm kind of like oh okay this is going to be a 10-year cycle you know i I, i'm getting this now yeah um but yeah so we got we got uh a bit screwed by that you know people stopped spending money we we didn't you know we put hand to mouth as a small agency yeah we had to make you know we sat down with our accountant and he was like you could probably fight your way through this but you know do you want to do you want to scale down and do that and I very you know I think me 
possibly first and then Johnny was like, yeah, you know, you're right. I think it's time for a change. Um, I was ready to, to do other things. I'd been living yeah. in London for a long time. Never, never planned for it to last this long or to run a business age 22. And, you know, yeah. How many years did that, how many years did that run for? About nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was kind of ready to take a bit of time off. I went yeah. traveling. I, I then came back and then decided I hadn't done, you know, enough traveling. So then I'm Paris and um, lived in Paris for a while and just focused on my own stuff and did lots of drawing and yeah. learned French and made a book and really took a lot of time. You know, I, I, I took a good few years to myself and I was working, but yeah. not the way I work now. I, I definitely eased off for a while and took, took my life back, I feel. Yeah. And, then, um, and did a bit of research as well. I went to Japan and like got inspired and ready to mm. work. Um, so I felt by the time I decided to come back to London from Paris, which was around 2011, mm -hmm. um, I was so ready to work. You know, I was, I was so fired yeah. up. I was, um, I was ready for a new challenge. I started freelancing and, um, I was working, I'd had met Vaughan by this point, who is my now husband. And yeah. so I got involved, um, with Westerners Pictures as well. So we were building a slate doing some interesting projects um and i was like yeah this is a good this is a good balance you know i'm doing the film mm -hmm. stuff i'm doing um doing some freelancing you know getting more into brands and rather than films so i was doing yeah. with um branding agencies and um and then a guy called lloyd sammons called me who had offered me a job um and i was sort of like i'm happy being freelance it's all good and he said well it's a slightly different offer now because um Saatchi and Saatchi are acquiring us. Um, so it's, I'm offering you a job at Saatchi and Saatchi now. And um, I don't know whether if it had been any other agency, I would have been as interested. But, you know, Saatchi and Saatchi really is the only advertising agency your mum's heard of. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that exact thing. It's the one, it's the one name that people who are not in the ad industry, they know yeah. that name. Yeah. And so, and, you know, I had done independent things on, you know, all my, everything I'd done was small teams, massive ambition, um, you know, punching above the budget way too much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really, really great work. And I, I wouldn't change any of it, but the idea that then I would just be offered like a CD role in advertising, which I didn't really know what that was. Um, well, you know, this, I know what art director is, I know what a copywriter is, but you know, I, I've done most of the, I knew that I'd done the work. I just didn't speak the language really. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, I was like, well, I'm going to say yes to this. This is a great opportunity. Um, mm. I've got this film company thing. And Lloyd was like, well, let's just say, call it four days a week. And I sort of thought, right, that this is going to last six months, if that, you know, I'm A, I'm not built for corporate life, B, part time work, never. Yeah. You know, everyone gets annoyed with you. Um, and <laughs> B, um, I don't really know what, like, I don't know. What, I mean, I sat down with a friend of mine who worked, had worked in advertising and I was like, so what's a planner? And she was like, well, all you need to know about planners is you have to think they're smarter than you. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just, I just sort of, you know, said yes. Didn't really know what I was saying yes to. And you know, that's, that's been seven years. Wow. Well, um, I liked it. Yeah, you liked it. That's good. So you still enjoy it. You're in a happy place. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, there was a, there was a real sense of 
oh, you only want me to be creative. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just walked around the building just going, the scale of the opportunity here is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And how, is, is, there, is there multiple creative directors in your team? Yeah. Is, how, you know, how, how many, what does that sort of structure look like, you know, just for? Now, it was quite, it was, I went in very much as a digital creative director. Yeah. Because um, the outside line had been acquired as a, to create sort of digital arm of Saatchi. Okay. So it was quite, um, it was a bit of a divide at the beginning, you know, there was mm-hmm. like real creatives and then there was us. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't having any of that. Because I just had never, I've never um, seen medium as a barrier. Like I've yeah. never, you know, I think that's part of like, when Johnny said to me, do you want to come and build a website in Venice? I was like, I don't know how to build websites. And he was like, doesn't matter. Just come. Like, yeah. I need your ideas. And I think that we'd always had that kind of, we'll figure out how, how later, but like, you know, it's concept there. And so I, I wasn't really that interested in what people said I could do and what, that I could, you know, I, I just sort of was like, I like working with him. He's a good writer. I'll just go and, you know, so I started working with um, Will John and we were basically, I was kind of creative. I was working as a creative, but also a digital creative director. Yeah. Um, and then thankfully the, the those sort of divides, we got rid of because they're just meaningless, aren't they really? Yeah, we're, exactly. Did like separating digital and above the line, well, you know, TV is, is, is w- what would keep Saatchi being old-fashioned you know and old school so so I definitely saw my role was part of the transition and that's why Lloyd hired me was to kind of have some you know some people sort of trying to break down some of those silos um and so the first projects I did were you know very integrated Mm -hmm. and then as things have changed it's sort of there's I think there's five creative directors now um yeah and uh CCO and and that's about it really Okay. Okay. And and do you, do you see that kind of um you know that blend I suppose of kind of digital and above the line etc. You know, are you seeing you know is there a, a huge more shift? Obviously, the bigger ad agencies like you guys usually do the big out of home campaigns, but is there more of a focus now on pure digital first? As as is that kind of where it's all kind of gone? I mean, people still need TV ads, and you know the direct line work, for example, you know was was definitely need a big massive TV vehicle, you yeah, know, where we sell insurance. But everything is about creating three sixty is a bit jargony, but you know it's it's not it's not. It, you go, what's the media plan? You look at the media plan. You talk to the planners about whether you think that's the right media plan, whether that's going to speak to the right people and you build your idea you know and a, and, a, and a good brand platform should be able to put its tentacles into all of that stuff so i don't worry yeah. much about it i just you know sometimes you have a great idea for social and kitchen other times you have a great idea for an activation and you know it needs tv to promote the activation you know like i just i just don't yeah. think too much about the medium i think yeah it's all good fun um i think you can su- you know i think sometimes you can suffer from traditional thinking in terms of where budget should be allocated yeah and that can be restricted um but other than that i just i just you know go big picture first and then figure it out like yeah no i like that i like that uh, the concept wins and then we figure out where it's meant to live and breathe isn't it that's the that's the right way of thinking now um we we, we had martin newmeyer on the show um he's famously given his definition of brand as uh, his you know he says a brand is a simply a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or, or organization. Uh, Debbie Millman um, said that branding is more like a manufactured meaning. 
um, uh, then we we look to to, uh, to the public to create um, a consciousness um, around that meaning. Um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, he says, kind of branding is simply your reputation or it's what other people say about you when you're not in the room. Now, I don't mean to put you on the spot, um, but, you know, I, I'd love to know, you know, sort of your definition of brand in today's world. Um, and if you were kind of explaining it to your mum, <laughs> um, you know, what, what, what is branding? Uh, what is branding? I think branding is the relationship you create with things. I think it's, mm. I think it's about it's the, yeah it's the it's 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 yeah it's a little bit manufactured but it is the relationship you have with the, with the products and services in your life um, and that isn't always manufactured I think sometimes that is inc incredibly um, personal you know why you what you think of when you think of an orangina because you had it once when you were a kid mm -hmm. um, and then so I think I think it's I think the the act of branding is building relationships. Yeah. Uh, but brands inherently have relationships with their customers, you know, with with, and that's you because you, you build identities out of them. Yeah. Why Why do you think we love that as people? Why do you think we like to attach ourselves and kind of join these tribes? You know, because that's essentially what they are, isn't it? It's, you know, we're we're kind of often saying that we believe in the same things as these these brands are saying, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm always looking, you know, to myself when I, I make a buying decision or I join something or I sign up and, you know, I just, I just wonder, you know, if, if you have any point of view and like why we're so kind of, we want to connect to things and kind of build ourselves into, you know, attaching ourselves to these, these names, these brands, these identities. Well, I mean, why do I think, why do we want to do it? Because we want to feel like we're making good choices. Um, and I think we want to feel like we're in control of the things and, and the, 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 A, the image that we put out there, but like when it comes to a bank, I don't know, I think you want to feel like you're making a good choice in terms of their technology, their security, their ethics. Um, and so the only way to learn about those is through communications. Um, so it's, but then I sort of think about my relationship with probably the strongest brand relationship I have is with Apple. And I know it's a cliche and probably diminishing a little bit these days, but buying an, a, a Mac or being part of that world did feel like being part of a tribe. And it felt like being part of a tribe because it was better and because it saw the world in a simpler way. It mm -hmm. saw the world, like you took out the, the instructions and the instructions were like, plug in the wall, turn on. And you're like, <laughs> I am making good choices in my life because this is around, this is a better way to live, you know, rather than a booklet in 75 different languages that doesn't explain how your toaster works. Yeah. Um, and there was a sense of, I'm, 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 I'm winning, you know, like. I've made the right choices. <laughs> shining thing that has been made with so much thought and consideration. And I guess that doesn't just have to be about design. It can be about being proud because you made, you subscribed to a journal or um, something that you really believe is fighting the good fight in terms of free speech or you know because you think that a, a particular bank does good things or you know because you like their ads i mean what's wrong with that you know yeah they don't put ugly things into the world that's the other thing i think you know for me it's like do you put beautiful things into the world are you making the world uglier or not or you know, direct mail and there is there are some that do and some that don't so 
Yeah, and, and I think there's the, there's obviously a, a, a huge conscious change and shift over the last few years or last 10 years even um, in terms of, you know, you know, consumers, they want to see right inside brands as well. So it's not just about the identities or the service offering anymore. It's about their ethics, how they treat people, how they treat their, their team members, how they, how they, how they impact the world. Um, you know, and obviously, I, you know, I, there was, I can't remember the name of the site just now, but there's, you know, I found a site um, recently that, you know, during COVID, it was basically a ranking system of kind of brands who's, who's done, who's looked after the world during this and who, who didn't, who did good stuff, who did bad stuff. And, you know, so, so more and more so, you know, I, I kind of believe it's kind of what it's what people say brands are rather than us as the advertise, you know, agencies or the brands themselves. You, you can't almost tell people what you are anymore. It's, it's, it's the other way around. And um, I, I suppose I'm interested, uh, Frankie, to know, do you think, can you see any shifts, any changes um, for the future of branding, you know, based on, I suppose, the experiences, the, the, the work that you've done during COVID with brands as well? And can you can you see um, sort of any big shifts and changes that you know, where the future of branding is going? Um, I think, I think, like I said at the beginning, I think, I feel like we, our clients, we were working with our clients very much as partners. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's how, how it should be. Um, but pa- perhaps that felt a bit more, um, less, uh, less kind of hierarchical in the sense of like, we do what you say, you know, yeah. and I think if there can be, if, if we can get to a sort of, more, a level of exchange, you know, that's where the best relationships and the best branding and the best work happens is when you're really partners, you yeah. know, direct line don't like being called the client. Yeah. I think that's sort of pejorative and I get that, you know, and um, like they'd rather call the team, you know, and I think that's, it's semantics, but it's also quite, you know, it's, it's quite yeah. an important thing. Um, and I think, so I think that's something hopefully as a positive, you know, a positive way that we'll work together because we understand that problems are a little bit, you know, we're, there's not like certain prescribed answers and, you know, yeah. this is about um, serving the client in that way. Um, so that, that I think should change. And I, and I, like mm. I said, like you said, I think there is now more a sense of accountability. Yeah. What did you do during COVID? You know, I know the website you're talking about. And yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. We'll, we'll, we'll find it. We'll put it in the comments somewhere for someone when they're watching this. Uh. But it is really, it is really good. And it, and it launched super fast. It launched within like a week, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, that sort of need to be reactive as well and be sensitive to things. And um, if that breeds honesty and transparency and, um, and better, you know, better, more authentic comms, that's, that's a great thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's good for the world. So I'm, I'm conscious of your time, um, and I suppose we've got a lot of younger listeners, a lot of people, um, a spell that have just graduated. We talked about that earlier on, and how you know you kind of had quite a, um, you know, a lucky sort of route into getting your first role. And um, there's a lot of people out there that you know will be quite challenging right now in terms of they've left university, college, they're starting out in the world of work. Um, is there any, any, any tips you could give um, for those listeners to kind of um, some ideas of, you know, I suppose, um, making, the, making themselves, um, I suppose, the, the ones that, that they're most likely get, to get a job? Is there, is there any, 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 any thoughts that you have and kind of? Well, I, 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 was, I, did, a, I did a Zoom talk with the graduates of the uh, VizCom GS at Glasgow oh. a few weeks ago, and I was asked the same question. And um, I said, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but 
play the sympathy card. You guys have had the worst graduation ever. You didn't get to party. You didn't get, you know, you didn't get to hang your show. You didn't get to, you know, go and network with anyone. You didn't get to go to DNAD. I mean, it's, it, it's like, you guys should be like, literally like I was that year. You need to give me a placement. You need to give me a chance because we got shafted by the world. Um, and I, and I, I say that slightly joking, yeah. but also like, I mean it, like if we, if we have as, as um, like organize, organizations like Saatchi and also my, my company, West Coast Pictures, you know, we have internship schemes and we try and do right and good by the people that come through. Um, and, and when you get those and nurture those relationships, don't just leave after four weeks and, um, and sort of be too shy to stay in touch and ask for the next person you should go and talk to. Oh, I think good advice I always have was always get one name out of the person that you meet. So don't say like, oh, have you got any contacts for me? Just say, give me one person. Yeah. And then you start a chain. And it's and usually that person will then be more more appropriate um, in terms mm. of your work or whatever, because you give it a bit of thought. So try and get to see people, play the sympathy card, um, get another name from anyone you talk to. Yeah. Um, understand that it's not going to be an easy time so don't take any rejection at this point personally yeah um and keep emailing be annoying because mm -hmm. what's the worst that can happen you're going to be deleted who cares exactly. um, and yeah hang in there like you know the 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 world owes you some fun um and and uh and hopefully you find that in your first job because there's you know yeah, and I think I think it's um, you know for for any of those listeners as well, you know, it's, it's a really good time to reach out to people on LinkedIn yeah. and ask people for help because you know me myself, you know, if, if you know students are reaching out to me, I'm I'm taking calls, I'm speaking to people, and I think so many people will do that now. So the world, you can reach out and and create relationships. And um, once you create that relationship, you have a conversation. Well, you've you've got your foot over the door way ahead of someone else. So so don't be afraid to kind of reach out and ask for help. You need to you need to let people know. Well, Frankie, thank you so much. Uh, as usual with our guests, I could sit here for hours <laughs> and talk. Um, there were so many insights in that, and I'm sure um, our listeners will have got so much um, taken away from all the experience you've had. Um, you know, it's been a delight to, to chat to you. Um, real quick before we, we finish up, I just want to give a shout out to, well, I'm going to have to say this username, JKNY605, who rated us on the podcast and said that we are super interesting and inspiring. Thanks for them so much for that. We really love to hear your feedback. So appreciate that. If you want to support the podcast, um, we'd love for you to do the same. So please rate, um, write us a review and help us get the word out. Um, if you have any questions for us or if you have any guests that you would like to see on the show, make sure and reach out on social media and give us a comment. We'll try our best to accommodate. We generally publish a new episode every, uh, oh, sorry, on the last Monday of every month, sort of, until COVID hit. Uh, put a little bit of a, a speed bump in there for us. So, But we are back and we will do our very best um, to be here every Monday. So make sure you're subscribed. Thanks again, Frankie, and we'll see everyone next time. Take care. <laughs>